This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us again. We are very excited to thank you for your support for Heart for Lebanon. Just want to give a very quick update. We are really closing in on our 52 families. We want to help over there in the nation of Lebanon. There are Muslim background refugees all over the camps there coming out of the civil war situation in the nation of Syria. And Heart for Lebanon is right there on the ground helping these families. But there are more families they want to help than they can help right now because of funding and they just need your support. And your gift of $116 will help one child and his or her family receive four months of survival essentials and the gospel, which lasts forever because they get off that waiting list and then the children are able to receive Christian education and they're able to work with those families, bringing them to Bible studies, bringing them to the church that is set up there at the camps. It's just an incredible ministry. If you'd like to help, your gift of $116 will make a big difference or you can help with a gift of $29 per month. If you'd like to help, the number to call 888 247 5499. That's 888-247-5499, or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. I want to dive in a little bit into this new survey that's come out from George Barna. He now is with Arizona Christian University there at the Cultural Research Center, and it is a study on millennials. So batten down the hatches, what you might expect to come from a study on millennials and their worldview and their beliefs and their politics probably isn't far off base, but I'm going to lead with what I think is the lead in this particular report, which I will dive into in more detail later this week. 30% of millennials, this is the younger generation, including nearly 40% of adults between the ages of 18 and 24 identify as LGBTQ, as we know, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. 30% of millennials, 40% of, I guess, the youngest millennials, because Generation Z is under 18. Who knows where the, it's a little blurred lines on how old you have to be to be in which generation. But That's huge. And one of the things that stands out for me when I read this statistic is born gay, huh? That's just amazing because historically you've never had higher than I think it's around three to five percent of the population being homosexual. But all of a sudden, 40 percent of them are born gay just at the very time when the gay revolution came about and there's been an unprecedented propagandizing of the younger generation and an indoctrination, flooding TV shows, flooding the internet, flooding the movies, everywhere you turn, pro-gay this, pro-gay that, rainbow flag this, pride that, pride that, pride that. My, you know, it's not an accident. It's called what happens when you launch a successful propaganda campaign. You can get all of these kids, they're not even kids anymore, they're young adults, to all of a sudden go, you know, I hadn't thought about it before, but I think I'm going to 
go in this direction. I think I'm going to change my sexuality or realize that my sexuality has always been different. Like these younger celebrities who are now calling themselves pansexuals. Right. You're a pansexual. What is a pansexual? I know what the definition is, but this should tell you what a crisis that we have in the younger generations. What is Generation Z going to be? 60% LGBTQ? Maybe by the time you get one or two generations beyond that, it'll just be 100%. It'll be 100% and that's it. It'll be over. Uh, this is this is almost hard to articulate what a terrible thing this is. The, the Not only the indoctrination and brainwashing of these generations, but also how little there is of biblical knowledge and biblical conviction that is present in these younger generations. And it grieves me to the core because to me, it says something about the ball being dropped along the way by people who should have been at least for the adults who were in church all of their lives, delving into solid biblical teaching, teaching the word of God. What what has been lost, I think, for too many people, even inside the church these days, is that the Bible says what God wants to tell us because it is his word, and we are to bow the knee to his authority. What God says goes. It's not even God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Take out that middle line. God said it, that settles it. That's the way it is. If you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, and if you don't believe that is breathed out by the Holy Spirit and written down by men, then what hope do you have? If it's just a book that you can pick and choose things from and say, well, I'm going to treat this like the buffet at Luby's. You know, I want a little jello, maybe a little meat. No, I don't want the green beans. Leave that there. You know, I don't want anything about homosexuality. That's just mean. This is what you get. You don't, as a human being, have the right or the ability to pick and choose what is true from the word of God. But unfortunately, this is where we are. I want to pick out some of the details here. And this is via the Christian Post. Uh, After I tell you that, you're probably feeling a little bit in despair like I am. But it says, while most millennials view Jesus in the Bible is at least a little positive, nearly one third also identify as LGBT, 75% of them admit to searching for a purpose in life, a sense of purpose in life. But they, they think a little bit positively of Jesus. Is that what Jesus demands of us? I understand that he who's not against me is for me. I understand what he's talking about in the word of God. But I also understand that being a Christian does not mean I feel a little bit positive about Jesus. You know, the world hated him. And if you follow him and if you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, you are choosing, in a sense, if you want to use the word choosing, in believing in Jesus and following him in obedience You are in a life that will be costly. You will have trials. You will have suffering. You will have, you know, the hatred of a lot of people simply because you're a Christian and simply because you are attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is your Lord, not this world, because you are not a part of the world system, but you are part of the kingdom of light rather than the kingdom of darkness. The world will hate you because it hates him. You know, following Jesus is a costly thing. I don't care where you live. And even if you live in a country that has a lot of cultural Christianity all around it, you know the difference if you really are following Christ between cultural Christians and real ones. At least I've 
notice the difference. And I know every Christian I know has noticed the difference. It is one thing to say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You can recite the platitudes. You can talk about the doctrines. You can go through all of the creeds and say, I agree with the Apostles' Creed, or I agree with the Nicene Creed, or I agree with the Athanasian Creed, or I agree with this statement of faith that comes from my denomination. That doesn't mean you're Christian. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's what scripture says. My concern is whether or not people who are positive, at least to a little extent about Christianity, are really saved. That's not up to me. That, that is up to the Lord. But it is up to me and it is up to you to accurately and truthfully tell people what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's good news that comes as good news because there's bad news. And the bad news is that we are born in sin. We are born in rebellion against our creator. We are dead in our sins. We are lost. We are in darkness. And God, whom we've offended, who would give us hell because we deserve it, because justice must be served. And those who break God's law need to pay an eternal price himself sent down his only begotten son to pay that eternal price. I like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones used to put it when he said, you know, the way you get out of punishment for your sin is going to be either a finite person has to pay an eternal price or you have to have an eternal person paying a finite price for your sin. So you as a finite human being who will die because the wages of sin is death, you will pay forever in hell if you want to pay the price for your own sin. I don't think anybody who really understands the severity of that would want to do that. But the good news is that Jesus, the eternal son of God, paid a finite price on Calvary. And he did the same thing for you that you would do if you had to go to hell and pay the price for your own sin. But the joy of being a Christian, the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven, that you've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you have inherited eternal life all because of the grace of a God you've offended. It's the best news you'll ever, 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 ever hear. And these millennials and these Generation Z types need to hear that good news to break free from the power of sin because Jesus has broken the power of sin. Praise God. We're going to come back. Stay with us. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is the practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends $10, $500 sends $100. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your support. 
A mother's womb has now become the unsafest place in America, with abortion being the leading cause of death and babies being aborted up to term in some states. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, helping moms choose life. You see, when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hit a heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help save 400 babies by the end of this year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. And now through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled, saving 10 babies' lives. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Well, abortion is going to take center stage soon before the U.S. Supreme Court. The justices will consider a case over a Mississippi law banning elective abortions after 15 weeks that pro-lifers are excited about because they think it could lead to a reconsideration of Roe v. Wade. And there are also challenges coming over the Texas Heartbeat Act, which bans abortions after six weeks gestation. The Susan B. Anthony List is now launching new efforts to urge the high court to update U.S. abortion law. And here to weigh in with us today, is Prudence Robertson, Communications Associate at the Susan B. Anthony List. And Prudence, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Janet. Great to hear from you. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you here. I know a lot of people still might not realize the importance of these cases that are about to become, you know, come before the court. Tell us a little bit first about what is coming concerning the Texas Heartbeat Act, which has been in the news so much recently. Absolutely glad to. So the court heard two arguments two oral arguments in the Texas case concerning the Texas Heartbeat Act. And these two um, questions that they asked were very procedural. Um, They considered whether or not Texas can avoid judicial review due to the requirement that private citizens must enforce this law. Um, Texas, because Roe versus Wade does not allow for limits on abortion before viability, they went about Uh, passing this law in a very unique way um, and made it so that private citizens of the state um, bring cases to um, to the courts to challenge um, as opposed to Texas bringing the cases before the court. So um, they considered whether or not Texas can avoid judicial review in that way. And they also considered whether or not Joe Biden's Department of Justice could seek an injunction to enjoin or stop the law, um, whether or not that's an overreach of power. And we would say that it is because the majority of Texans believe in this law. Uh, Recent polling shows that 55 percent of Texans, including Latinos, women and independents, support a heartbeat limit on abortion. And really, uh, the the precedent laid out in Roe versus Wade is unconstitutional because it denies states that right to pass limits on abortion whenever their their people believe it should be. Um, so that's what's at stake in the Texas Heartbeat Act, and we hope that the court will, will uphold it. Um, but again, I just want to emphasize that these these questions they asked earlier this week are pretty procedural. Um, 
and we're expecting to hear decisions in those cases any day. Very good. Well, when you're talking about the DOJ, that's an interesting angle here because it's been reported that there are people saying it's indefensible to bring a federal case to stop private citizens from suing each other in state court. What is your sense of things from a legal perspective? How do you think that might come down? Because it does seem a little bizarre that the DOJ thinks it can intervene here. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's a complete overreach of power. And it's unsurprising to us, unfortunately, because we know that Joe Biden's administration is the most extreme pro-abortion administration we've ever seen. But they're standing on very shaky legal ground here because to suggest that a federal body can come into a state and, you know, stop a law that has already been passed by the state legislature and really by the people speaking through their duly elected legislators is uh, really just nonsensical in a lot of ways. And it, it denies our founding principles, you know, federalism yeah. and democracy. Uh, states should be able to pass laws reflective of the will of their people. So um, we're hopeful that the court will rule in favor of the state on this issue and deny um, this extreme pro-abortion Department of Justice to intervene. Yeah, I agree completely with you. It's it's interesting because a lot of people has said have said that Roe v. Wade, because it legalized abortion nationwide and they have actually had precedent blocking states from banning abortion before a baby is viable, that that should be a reason to overturn the Texas Heartbeat Act. But it sounds, and from what you're saying, that the justices are just focusing on the enforcement mechanism of this law. So it's very narrow, it would seem, a narrow sort of case where they're not going to get into the broader issues, which might disappoint some pro-lifers, but how should we really be seeing this? Should we be seeing this as a good thing? Yes, honestly, I I think that we should, because the fact that they're sticking to the procedural questions on this case, I mean, I'm not sure if you listened in on the oral arguments at all, but they didn't mention abortion once. They're not getting into the nitty gritty of of this law, and they're not really addressing the key question for pro-lifers. That's going to come later on, on December 1st, when they consider the Dobbs late-term abortion case and that Mississippi law. That's when they're going to address the question of whether or not pre-viability limits on abortion are constitutional. Right now, they're really just addressing these procedural issues, and it doesn't really have to do with the controversial aspect um, of, of abortion. Which must drive the pro-abortion crowd nuts because they would really like to get rid of the Texas Heartbeat Act. But pretty, I would say pretty clever approach to stopping abortion. And there has been an incredible, here I am in Texas and I support it 100%, obviously. But I mean, it has stopped lots and lots of abortions so far. And people are rejoicing down here over that. We're delighted. Yes, that's so true. I mean, and the fact that Texas is really so ready to be there for these mothers and these families, um, you know, you're right. This law has saved, I think, 50% of abortions in the state have uh, been stopped because mm. of this law. I think I think I have that right. Um, and, you know, Texas has a $100 million per year alternative to abortion program that was passed by the state. Um, and it's really just so wonderful that the legislature was allowed to enforce enact this law to protect babies. And, you know, other states should really be looking to Texas to go on offense for the unborn and not be afraid to stand up to radical pro-abortion leaders in Washington and make sure they know their rights as state legislators to pass these laws. Yep. And we're here to support them in that.
That's excellent. Now, you had mentioned the Dobbs case. The Dobbs case, we'll segue to that, out of Mississippi. This is going to be a huge case. It's looking into the question of whether pre-viability limits on abortion beginning at 15 weeks of pregnancy are constitutional. What are the key things that are going to be part of this case that are important to watch? Absolutely. So just to run down a little bit of information about the law in question, the Mississippi Gestational Age Act is a limit on abortion at 15 weeks. And we know from polling um, that has spanned for years of time that a majority of Americans support a limit on abortion such as this. Um, 15 weeks is very late to have an abortion. And we know based on advances in technology and science that it is undeniable that these babies growing in the womb are human. They are sensitive to pain. They already you can see via ultrasound that they already look like a little person. They have fingers and toes and eyelids. They can cough and sneeze. Um, and they feel pain when undergoing an abortion. And Americans reject that gruesome procedure, especially when babies can feel pain. And another thing to point out, and another thing that I know that the Mississippi Attorney General, Lynn Fitch, will be arguing before the court is that the United States is a global outlier when it comes to abortion policy. Yes. Recent studies from our um, research institute, the Charlotte Lozier Institute, show that 47 out of 50 European nations limit abortion at 15 weeks or earlier, just like this Mississippi law. And the United States is one in seven nations worldwide that allow for abortion up to the moment of birth. It's really just so extreme. And when people understand the reality of abortion law in our nation, they reject it. And that's why it's time for the law to be updated. Well, that's very, very true. And and the fact that these little children in the womb can feel pain is unconscionable. What kind of country yeah. are we that we're allowing this to go on? How is Mississippi on solid legal ground with this law? Because, Prince, a lot of people are confused. I thought Roe v. Wade bans all ability for states to to you know abolish abortion and these sorts of things. There are a lot, there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, floating around about the legality of this and the legality of that. Why is it that the Mississippi law is on solid legal ground? Sure. So what most people don't understand is that Roe versus Wade does allow for abortion on demand up to the moment of birth. Now, without reading it closely, people interpret Roe versus Wade to stop abortions um, pre-viability. And they believe that post-viability, you can limit abortion. But that's not the case because Roe versus Wade, together with Roe versus Bolton, um, basically lay out that as long as you can find an abortionist who is willing to cite a so-called health exception to perform an abortion later in pregnancy, you can get that abortion. Mm. It's so extreme. And most people don't understand the legal intricacies of those two cases together. But that's why the Mississippi law technically at this point, is not deemed constitutional by Roe versus Wade. However, we know that Roe versus Wade was founded completely undemocratically by seven unelected men on the Supreme Court at the time, and they developed this so-called right to privacy that includes abortion. Um, so we know that this Mississippi law should be able to stand because Roe versus Wade needs to be overturned. Good deal. I hope I in a way that makes sense. Makes but. sense completely. Yes, I'm glad that you cleared that up. Tell us a little bit about what the Susan B. Anthony list is doing right now with some of your efforts regarding abortion yes. law in SCOTUS. Bring us up to speed a bit. 
Absolutely. Well, this Dobbs case is definitely the most important thing to us right now. Um, but we, you know, are we're actually active right now. And I believe six states were already on the ground visiting voters, speaking to them about the Dobbs case and about current abortion law in our country. We're hearing from them that they also believe it's time to update the law. And we're making sure that they understand the importance of this case in the context of the midterm elections next year, when it's going to be up to them to elect candidates who are going to enforce pro-life laws and stand up for pro-life Americans who believe that the law should be updated. We're really looking forward to oral arguments and a decision coming down in June on the Dobbs case. We're very hopeful that they're going to take the handcuffs off of state legislators and allow them to pass pro-life laws reflective of the will of their people. And it's going to be up to the voters to elect candidates. who understand they have a mandate to pass pro-life laws. Excellent. Oh, well, we're so glad you're doing that. SBA-list.org is the website. Prudence Robertson, thank you so much for the update. Keep up the good work, Prudence. Thanks, Janet. Thanks for being here. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We have long lamented these alarming statistics about the younger generation of Americans who have grown up in the church, but then walked away from it and Christianity altogether when they became adults. Now, instead of Christians, they are known as nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And though we often ask what the church should have done about it or can do in the future to try to arrest the attrition, maybe the question really ought to be, what should parents be doing in their children's lives to ground them in their faith in Jesus Christ all along the way? We're going to talk about it now with author Mike D. Virgilio, who's out with a new book called The Persuasive Christian Parent. And welcome, Mike. It's wonderful to have you with us. How are you? Great. Thank you, Janet. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet. We're glad you're here. Why do you believe we are seeing so much attrition from the church among kids who were raised in the church? It is a bit of a crisis. A lot of people are very concerned about it. What do you think is going on with this generation or or multiple generations of younger kids? That's a huge question. Um, and there are many reasons, but you know we live in a, in a secular culture that is hostile to everything that we believe. And um, the reason I wrote the book is because I wanted to give parents some kind of ammunition to fight against kind of that secular assault. And it's not necessarily always an in-your-face assault. It's just there, underlying everything that the culture teaches, what it stands for, its assumptions. Um, It's all hostile to our faith. Right. And... um, yeah. Again, do you think that this is? That. Yeah. Do you think that this is primarily the church's fault that they are leaving, 
Or do you believe it's more the parents' fault? Or do you believe it's the culture's fault? How do you assess what is causing this greater loss of kids as they age out of the church? Because that is not something that has been a trend, at least when a lot of us were young. We grew up as right. Christians. We stayed Christians. That's kind of how it was most for most right. of us. What, why is this generation different with the hostile culture? Are you assessing the situation as the culture is grabbing hold of them more than the church is? Or what do you think is really the reason that we're seeing more of it now? Well, the answer is all of the above. But it, it, we live in a time where um, we can't take for granted anymore that a culture affirms anything about our faith. So if we are not actively discipling our children in an apologetic manner, because my book really isn't a, a, a parenting book. It's a really a, an apologetics book for parents. So parents have to think differently and not just assume if like, I think a lot of parents will send their kids off to Sunday school, uh, you know, weekday or, uh, you know, it's church meetings or whatever, and think that that's going to do it. They'll hear Christianity, he taught the gospel, and then that's, but that's not enough nowadays. And, um, and I think one of the reasons that people, young and old, reject the faith is because I, I have a chapter in the book on plausibility and what seems real to people. And the culture, there's what's called plausibility structures. The culture builds in us a sense of what we think is real and not. Hmm. So I think, just like the young lady that I talked about in my book, uh, to the inspiration for it, she grew up in a great, solid Christian home, and then she went off to college and immediately lost her faith. And she was involved, Bible study and all that. Yeah. And it was in a matter of moments, really, where she just decided, I'm an agnostic. Ugh. And what I would argue is that she went away from something that didn't seem real to her. Christianity no longer, but this whole agnostic worldview with all these professors, you know, that just seemed more real. Because mm-hmm. most people aren't argued out of their faith. Mm-hmm. They're not looking at all the evidence, you know. No. Uh, and, but, but the plausibility of what the culture does, and a great example of that is watching perfectly nice TV shows, and they go through everything they might go through, and God is persona non grata. He right. doesn't even exist. Right, right. So they don't have to be saying... Christianity's bad, God, you know, they're atheists. It's just that God's not relevant. Wow. So, so really, what what their conclusion is, is that since everything around me seems to conclude that God is irrelevant and God isn't needed and you can be nice and moral and a good person without him, why do you need him? Isn't that exactly. an epistemological problem, though? Uh, uh, you know, understanding Christianity is if it doesn't work for me or if it's not needed to work for me to make my life better, then why should I be interested in it? It seems the premise there is completely flawed. Oh, it's intensely flawed. In fact, I think I might have the only parent book out there with a chapter on epistemology. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of what can we know? How do we know it? Can we even know anything? And, you know, these are big, huge historical questions. But that's, you know, really what it comes down to. And I have a chapter on culture, for instance. Okay, it's a good example. And a lot of times when you hear people complaining about this issue of kids growing up or however that old they are running away from the faith. Uh, it's like the culture is an enemy. I turn that on its head because to me, the culture is our kid's best friend. Because when you learn 
And this is what parents have to do. That's why I call the, the clicker, you know, the remote control. You have to be the master of it, the parents in their house, and they can't get through it. I can, my kids, they're older now, but even with my mom, my wife, I do it. Can't get through an entire show without stopping it and interrogating the message, <laughs> yes. interrogating what's being told. Yes. You know? Yes. And it's all so weak. Secularism is so pathetic. I, I liken secularism to the Berlin Wall. You know, while it was up, those of us that are old enough, we thought it'd be there forever. When Reagan said, tear it down to Gorbachev, you're like, come on, Ronnie. Yeah. <laughs> I think secularism is the same. Yeah. It's weak and it, it can't deliver. So the people that leave Christianity, they go off and they're flailing around because there's no hope. There's no purpose. There's nothing. Yeah. Right. Well, but but people aren't thinking. That's part of the problem, Mike. And mm-hmm. you know this, too, that, that people are not big critical thinkers. A lot of people are not question askers. They don't want to really challenge the assumptions of the culture that is mm-hmm. getting on them every single day in every single way. But here's a question, too. Before you can ever pass on the faith, the once delivered for all to the saints, onto your kids, you have to be a certain kind of Christian yourself. And, and I hear a lot yeah. of Christian parents talking about that. You've got to be saved. You've got to be committed to the Lord. You have to be committed to his word and you have to be committed to discipling your kids. How much of this problem involves the kinds of Christians that parents are? I'm not trying to attack parents, obviously, because there right. are a lot of things that that feed into the problem of passing along the faith to your kids, whether it's busyness or I feel inadequate or all those excuses we hear. But how mm-hmm. much of it do you think really comes down to you can't disciple your kids and ground them in the faith if you're not? And, and maybe it needs to begin in your life as a mom or a dad if you're not up to the task. Amen a thousand million times. That's why I changed the, the subtitle of the book to um, God's Provision for Building and Enduring Faith in Your Children. I changed it to you and your children. Good, good. Because if you don't own it, and, and I've heard this, and I'm in sales, so I've heard this a lot, you know, in what you're selling can't really be taught as much as caught. Mm-hmm. And it's, of course, both. But the point is, is that, you know, if, if you're not sold out to this Jesus thing, <laughs> If, if it's not your life, then why should it be your kids? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why should mm-hmm. they give their life to something if the most important people in their lives, you know, it's a hobby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I've had some people sort of, I don't know if get angry is the right word, but think I'm, oh, Mike, you're just blaming parents. Well, Sort of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the Bible is very clear, and so is, and I ta- argue in the book, so is sociology, that the most important influence on a child's life growing up and what they believe is the parents. That's yes. why yeah. I have a chapter there, and it's all about parents, because the Bible is very clear that faith is generational, and God holds us to account. It's like he holds us to account for our money and everything else in life. You know, he gives us children for that reason. And so, and that's where I think when you bring up the church is another something you can quote unquote blame is that um, the church is, you know, I go into a whole history of why the evangelical evangelical church tends to be Mm anti-intellectual. It's historical, you know, it has to do with the great awakening, second great awakening, especially, and, uh, and so on and so on. But most pastors don't teach these things, like you were talking about asking the questions, interrogating the culture, or I think every pastor should preach to some extent like him. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to, yeah, we're going to take a break. Mike DiVirgilio is with us. The Persuasive Christian Parent is his book. We'll come back talking about this very important subject. When we return, you're listening to Janet Meffer today. 
The UN has called what's happening in Lebanon the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. COVID-19, political upheaval, a crumbling economy, and two million refugees, children and their families, living in poverty and despair. But in the middle of it all, God is at work. More Muslim-cultured people than ever before are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And through your generous support, Heart for Lebanon is being used to bring these hurting people from despair to hope. A single gift of 100 helps bring a child and their family survival essentials and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. $348 cares for this family for an entire year. We have a goal to take over 50 families off a waiting list that desperately need our help. So we're hoping you'll be as generous as you can when you call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We have such a responsibility as Christian parents. Boy, it is an overwhelming task at times. And I think there is no Christian parent on earth who wants anything more than the salvation and deep discipleship of his or her children. Uh, such an important subject addressed in this book by Mike DiVirgilio, who's our guest, The Persuasive Christian Parent. I want to get down to brass tacks here, Mike, if we could, because there are many, yeah, there are many parents who are looking at the task and saying, I know what I need to do, but even if I do everything correctly, my child still may wander away from the Lord. And that frustrates me because I know ultimately it is up to him whether or not my mm-hmm. children stay in the faith or ever were, uh, you know, real Christians to begin with. But how right. would you advise young parents with young children starting out and saying, I want to get this right from the very beginning? What do you advise me to do? What do you think is a good way to begin the discipleship journey with my kids? But that attitude of wanting to do it right is, is, a, is a good start. You know, I, I, having these children, I want to do that. But in the book, I put um, a disclaimer, if you will, because I got some pushback, like I said, uh, you know, like I'm blaming parents. But we can't control anything, and, and we can guarantee nothing. I mean, we have a hard enough time controlling ourselves. We can't control another human being. Yeah. Um, so, but to, to do it right, you have to... Um, be fully invested in what, when I first started thinking about writing the book, I, I'm gonna, I was going to write, my first chapter was going to be, it's all about truth, because the deconvert, we call it deconversion now, but when the gal did her deconversion story, this young lady, there wasn't a hint of truth anywhere in it. Hmm. Like, it didn't even matter. She just, it didn't, I, she didn't say it didn't seem real, but there was nothing in there about, she just blessed and she felt bad about it, and 
and so on and so forth. So to me, the first chapter was it's all about truth. And, and, and I think that is fundamental to doing it right in the 21st century. Because if it isn't true, like I tell my kids and I've told them, they're you know, youngest is 19 now, so they're adults. But if it ain't true, I don't want anything to do with it. No, right, right. You know, I, I don't want any, if it, I don't, I'm not a Christian because it helps my marriage or makes me a better person or a nicer person or like, whatever. You know, it's either true or it's not. If it's not true, I'll do something else. Right. Well, and I, I think that's, to, to answer your question about right, I think that's fundamental. And if we're not constantly addressing that. So, for instance, if my son went away, he, he just, he was here for a few days, uh, Florida Inter- International University. So if he went there and he came back, which is not going to happen, but if it did, I would say, okay, Dominic, um, why do you believe that's true? Give me some backup, some evidence for your disposition on that thing or the other. And he'll, he'll, he wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> because well, we spent all our life, now he goes there and he, he laughs at the whole secularist presumption of it all. Right. How weak atheism is. Um, you know, so I think that's fundamental to today. And I just more, you know, most pastors don't even preach that. No. So how do parents learn that if you're not like, I'm just geared to learning and this stuff. Right. So now you've got, say you've got small children and that's, that's your starting point. I want to teach my Mm -hmm. children that God's word is true, that the gospel is true, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he is crucified and risen from the dead and he will return Mm -hmm. in glory one day. All of those things are true. Would you advise young parents then to do just kind of a basic catechesis on the essentials of the Christian faith backed up by Bible reading, Bible teaching? What all needs to go into that to drive that point? home, especially at a young age, because you've got to keep it simple at that age, obviously. I, I might be disappointing to some people to hear this, but I, I, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> Being, you know, organized. As I say, you know, one of the favorite evangelical words in our, for, since I've been a Christian for many years, uh, is it being intentional. Oh, I hate that word. And, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, I hate that word. It's so overused. It's such a buzz term, and I it know. kind of implies that nobody intends to do anything unless they say it's intentional. <laughs> Makes me nuts. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I'm right there. And, and I was not very good at certain things, like catechesis. And uh, like I'm a, a Calvinist Reformed Christian, and I was writing through the book, and I have a chapter there on that, or, you know, on Reformed theology, because it's subs- it's very important in my family and my kids' upbringing. Yeah. And I went and asked my kids when I was writing that chapter, I said, do you know what Tulip is? <laughs> they go, no. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, which is the acrostic about the Calvinistic faith, blah, right. blah, blah. Right. And, but I, I, you know, but, but they learned the principles underlying that of God's sovereign power and control over all things. Yes. Because I taught it all the time and in mm. various ways. Mm-hmm. And to answer your question specifically, I think that's a very very important question. Um, and again, I don't think it's done necessarily by five to 10 steps to this or that, but okay. So every morning when I pray, I thank God, it just seems like I always do because it's hard to believe in invisible reality. So I'm so grateful that he's revealed himself to us three ways in creation in scripture and in Christ. And I literally, thank you God, because this is hard to believe, but I look outside and I can't believe this whole thing is an accident. I know. We're just cosmic material. I call us lucky dirt. That's all we would be. <laughs> lucky dirt. You know? That'd be the extent of who we are. Yeah. Lucky dirt. Yeah. And so the, Romans one twenty, Paul is very clear. He says the invisible qualities 
of God, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Yes. So I talk in the book about the design inference, and, and you see, like, phrase chance is a famous phrase of mine with my kids, because I'll, I'll look at an orange and I'll, I'll, I'll just go, I'll hold it. Let's say my daughter or son are in the room. I go, do you believe this? If this grew out of the ground, out of dirt, and if I eat it, it's going to help me live. Hmm. Isn't that an amazing coincidence? Yep. Praise chance or sunset. <laughs> I mean, I do this all. I still do it, and they're adults, because there's only one thing that explains created reality, and it's God. Yeah. It's an all-powerful creator. And the beauty of, of uh, this is sort of a joke I think God's played on the human race, is that as we've learned more and more and more, we realize it's way too complex. To have been a product of change. Oh, of course. Impossible. Of course. That's why most people are not philosophical atheists, because if you tell this person that's all a product of chance, they go, no, it's not. No. But it, they live like practical atheists. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you, you jog my memory. One of the things I say to my kids a lot is I'll, I'll give some example in nature. Isn't it interesting mm-hmm. that of all the vitamins and minerals that your body needs, there are foods that are available in nature on trees and so forth that will provide exactly what your body needs to live and to be healthy? I said... It's as if somebody designed it that way. So I sort of do the same thing. Good. <laughs> it's true, though. That, that's easy to do. You don't have to yeah. remember anything. No, that's right. Right? That's right. You know, and, and that, that, to me, so the first thing you want to do is establish, so my kids could no more become atheists than, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. <laughs> yes. Well, I, you know what? This goes... We program them so that it can't, they would, it's absurd to them. Mike, this is exactly what you were bringing up earlier when we were talking about this, that if you are, for example, the, 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 the story that you told about being on the TV shows, you know, when the TV comes on and there's some silly thing on, on TV about secularism and you challenge it and you interact with your kids, that interaction is so important because you're right. Amen. As time goes along, they remember the little pithy line that you used or they remember mm-hmm. the interaction or they, re- they learn to question things that goes a long way it is you know and also of course you're backing that up by making sure they know the word of god and they learn the word of god at the same time but that oh, interaction i think is very helpful because it shows it, for lack of a better term it shows kids christianity is not a dull religion that is just stuffy and old-fashioned and nobody today <laughs> believes it's exciting it's relevant and it also happens to be true and that's the fundamental part but i think that's really an important part of this whole thing and i'm glad you're emphasizing that absolutely and, and you know it's Everything human beings are looking for. Like my son, this is a great example. He's a musician, and there's this famous guy, who, British musician, who made it to Wembley Stadium. And I was sitting in my office, and he was in his room, and he goes, hey, come and check this out. And the guy was asked, what was it like? You know, you, you made it to Wembley. I mean, and the guy goes, the, the musician goes, well, it was okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, and I teach my kids Nothing can satisfy but the living God. Right. Nothing. True. I mean, he gives it to us to enjoy for a period of time, and as long as we understand it's in rel- relative to him and his gifts. In fact, that last week, my wife and I were watching some show, and this person got money out of nowhere. And, of course, it's utterly secular. And I told my wife, because I do this with her, too. <laughs> I said, isn't it sad? This person has nobody to give thanks to. Mm. <laughs> the money that flew out of you know, wherever this money came from, well, you could thank the person, but, but we can thank God. That's right. And for everything. I so love that's it. That's why, I mean, that's why, because 
you're giving your kids hope meaning and purpose. I love that. Mike, that's so good. And the name of the book is The Persuasive Christian Parent by my guest, Mike DiVirgilio. So good to talk to you, Mike. Glad you were here. Keep up the good work with your kids and and thank you for the encouragement. I thank you. Appreciate your time. You bet. Take care. God bless you. Thanks for joining us here on Janet Mefford today. Always a pleasure to serve you and hope you can tune in with us again next time. God bless.